Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Polytechnicast. I am Rob Stenzinger, and, well, this is the place where I record thoughts about the projects I work on, topics surrounding. A lot of times it's about creativity and design and, you know, stuff I work on, right? So I'm currently making a video game called Word Turtle Island. I'm um, also doing some online teaching related to design and creativity. I've... I don't know, like my, I've, I've kind of jumped back and forth between roles that would emphasize technology and design earlier in my career. Then I focused more and more on like where folks paid me was related to design. And now um, I'm, I'm doing a mix and, you know, kind of self-funding and, you know, entrepreneurial ifying <laughs> uh, to, you know, make the make my professional projects um my own self-directed things right and uh but i have i have a lot of um a lot of experience uh sharing the stuff i work on both on this podcast and, and on a podcast called lean into art that's been on hiatus for a little while but it, it was around for like 10 years right and so some folks know me from that and um i i got an interesting question from someone who I think encountered me through that podcast. Um, this and and so this episode, I want to explore that question, and um, and it has to do with uh, design and thinking about framing things as minimum lovable, bleh, <laughs> minimum lovable product or minimum viable product. Kind of funny how there's sort of the. Uh, the phonetics of the middle words. They're lovable and viable. Lovable and viable and viable and lovable. Ah, should have practiced that before I tried to say it at first. <laughs> anyway, um, so I got this question from Rachel on uh, Mastodon, where I am Rob Stenzinger on mastodon.art. And uh, Rachel uh, does, a, well, I don't know what they call it, an at message there. And says, so, Rob Stenzinger, I was just reading about minimum lovable product versus minimum viable product. Because you want to have enough features to maximize love of a core group of users. Do you think this is a real strategy? And I think, uh, well, I didn't have to record a podcast to just say yes. (laughs) I think there's so much to it, though, right? Where... What are you doing when you have those those, those framings, right? W- what are you doing, and where are you at, and who is who is around you, and how do people in the sort of shared cultural belief around it, like what is that? Are you in a group that um, really, well, is looking for one of those um, like incubator style opportunities? I won't, you know, you want to rapidly launch a product, and you want to make sure it has. Um, you know, extreme growth. That's always something to look at with a caution flag, especially depending on what you're building, right? Because if you're building something that has an error and you're doing it faster, harder, and bigger, um, that could hurt people, then you're doing that faster and harder and bigger. And that's not great. Uh, I also think it's possible to, to um, have products that aren't so full of risk of potential for potential harm that they're, they're about entertainment or about like 
alternate ways to get to different experiences as opposed to, you know, making populations of people vulnerable and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's possible to work in this space uh, in either sort of framing, saying like, hey, we're going to make a thing. And, and that's, that's what this assumes, right? So minimum viable and minimum lovable, it's product, right? I mean, and chances are you're, you're creating a new thing. I think that's, that's a fair, fairly reasonable um, assumption. Because when you're taking something existing and, you know, you're doing some iterating, right? And you're doing some kind of iterating based on some, you know, what you've learned with what you've made so far and how has that worked in the world? What signals are you following? Is it, you know, has it been easy to maintain, difficult to maintain? Has it been, um, you know, pretty understandable and trackable as far as how well it makes money? Um, is it well regarded by the folks who use it? That kind of thing. So you can use the sort of the Venn diagram of feasibility, viability, and desirability to to look at existing stuff, or you can look at it, you know, new stuff this way too. And a lot of times the minimum is the first word, and you know, minimum viable, minimum lovable. It's the like, hey, let's do some, let's do an experiment that's a business experiment in the world, and see what we can learn, but not have to you know, live out the, the um, sort of software development life cycle of the past of spending all kinds of time defining, defining and, and designing every little thing up front. Let's do something where we can uh, incrementally put something in the world that is enough, right? And then make it more. But in some ways, like, well, co-creating with our audience, so anyway, and I'm sure this, all this context I'm, I'm sharing, not for Rachel's benefit, I'm sharing for uh, anyone who, like, who's curious about my thoughts on this, this kind of topic. It's just sort of, you're getting a feel for how I, how I think of it. And, um, and I think, you know, I've, I've worked in places where, where we've, we've used interchangeably like minimum viable and minimum lovable because we cared about the, the emphasis across those different perspectives, right? The, the, the folks that are getting paid to make the product, right? The, in, the, in your team and in the organization. And we also cared about the audience very much. So uh, including them and then, you know, even, even like outside of that too. And then each of us individually. And so those are like, that's another angle on this is I, that I love to, to mention is the five audiences I think are incredibly informative to think about, are you doing right by any of them or all of them? And which one is sort of your emphasis for uh, informing your decisions? And are you able to integrate combining these different things and including as much as you can everyone, the people who are making the product, the people who are sponsoring it, the people who are, you know, paying for it by, by being the audience and, um, and then yourself and the world around you. So again, the audiences would be your users, your organization, your team, yourself, and then the world. And I've got some articles, I'll link to that in the show notes, but I mean, more or less, you can take those five audiences and think, how are you doing by each of these folks? How do you know you're doing well or not? Uh, what, what's helping inform you of these uh, different groups' needs? 
And, and then, how are you defining that stuff? So that's, that's the thing about the emphasis of viable or lovable. The viable aspect is saying the business model surrounding this product is, is uh, showing great potential. It's sound and, you know, hopefully we're talking, in, but, but we don't, let's see, you can't ignore the question of ethical, right? Is this, is this a predatory business model or not? When, you, when you're participating in designing a product, you need to ask that. And, um, and then the, and the emphasis on viable, and, and if, you, <laughs> if you, have, you find yourself in a meeting where, where folks are emphasizing the viable aspect of minimum, minimum viable product and um, they want exponential growth, um, that that's not a yellow flag. That's a red flag. <laughs> there's there's there be danger in in your in in this in that situation you're in. So, um, because it takes it takes a while to to grow people and grow awareness of of, of a product and, and an audience and the trust and all that stuff. So, um, worth. Um, you know, worth watching out. The lovable aspect, though, if you think we're going to emphasize making something that is, it's winning by the, and so in the Venn diagram of feasibility, viability, and desirability, we're going to fully go into desirability, making sure we're, we're doing no harm along the way. So there's some kind of spirit of playfulness and service and that kind of thing um, to, to find our audience, and, and we're just that, we're going to emphasize that aspect of the Venn diagram so much, right? So um, I do, like, so my short answer is, is, so do you think this is a real strategy? Absolutely, yeah, they're, they're both real strategies. I, th- I think it's um, robust strategy will come from um, integrating multiple perspectives with purpose and clarity and kindness and credibility because of the inclusivity having some observational evidence to it that yes you have talked with and yes you have um demoed in and uh um explored or tested with real people right and your point of view being informed by all five audiences maybe with a slight emphasis toward one thing or or the other um yeah, that can make a strategy. That can be real. And it's and I don't think it's I I do not find business models inherently a problem. I think all of us in in the modern world finding a way to make a living, put food on the table, engage in trade and especially um you know, it's like we're we're all dealing with that kind of thing and to find a way to trade your skills and all that stuff um, is great. Build a product so other people don't have to build it. Um, learn a particular thing so other people don't have to learn it as much. That's cool. And making a profit, also cool. Um, the predatorial, the, um, the looking for um, words like disruption, I think those are cautionary words for me now, right? Um, and, and, and I, I gained this perspective by working in teams that were, you know, with a mandate of building things that were meant to, um, well, grow big fast. And, and it, was a, it was fascinating, but there's, there's a lot of folly in that, right? There's a, there's a desire to do, get a shortcut 
um, by, because of how efficient you can trade. It's like, oh, a big company that can sell, you know, something at, a, at, a, at an extreme profit, okay, fine, but where's that thing coming from, right? That matters too. Um, let's see. So, I was, oh yeah. So, uh, the idea of a business model, I think I've, I've written a bunch of this. I don't know if I've published much yet. I've got some rough, rough draft articles about, um, an existence model instead of a business model. It's cause a business, um, has more to it than just the mechanism through which it, 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 it gains profit. Right. And so, um, acknowledging the need for a business to have some type of profit makes sense. And I think it's realistic and reasonable and even ethical, uh, potentially, right? But it depends on how they're going about that. So how are you going about this process of, of creating a, an extension to an existing product or creating a whole new thing that's meant to be a minimum lovable product or a minimum viable product? <laughs> I'm still choking on those words a little bit. Um, but, you know... It, that stuff matters a lot. And um, like, are you, you know, how do you view competition? How do you view markets? And if the more you view them like uh, carnage and battle, yeah, that's, you're probably in at least yellow flag areas, if not red flag. Because I guess, you know, having a, a spirit about you to get through the day and make a cool thing and put it into the world, it's all hard work. You got to do something to get up in the morning, right? But like um, really viewing that as like no holds barred, um, like minimum viable, what do you mean by that? Do you mean viable at any cost? to anything else in the world that you don't have to observe or be accountable for? Or do you mean viable as in like, hey, we're a business and it costs money to do business. So like we need to address that concern because if we don't, we have this idealistic thing that doesn't fuel the business. It actually drains the business and creates risk for people's jobs and also our audiences that we're serving through other products. So yeah, this new thing has to be viable. So that's reasonable. That's like a that's a that's like acknowledging physics and saying like okay, let's actually manage those constraints and and do something that works effectively with that. And that's that's great. So, let's see. I think I answered Rachel's question and um I I'm a fan of of both approaches. I know that um so much in design, and I've written articles about this too. Is that being a if you're if you're a generalist designer, facilitator, and especially if you're working in a group that does innovation or new new products or an incubator, and you've got business stuff to grow and all that, and you're weighing all these concerns all the time about like what's your criteria for success and how do you you know learn enough from your audience and the market and integrate these ideas and build stuff fast and build it well and 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 make sure you're picking the stuff that you can build right. Um, I don't know. It's a fun space, and it, there's a lot to it. But, but to me, if you look at the audiences, those five audiences, are you doing right by them? And how do you know that, right? And then those different points of view, and what's your emphasis of, on the Venn diagram of feasibility, viability, and desirability? You're on your, you're on a good path towards some robust thinking, and it's that kind of robust thinking that's going to lead to a strategy and tactics that you're acting upon to then um, 
test it, right? Because it's, a strategy is a hypothesis. A design's a hypothesis. Like it's not fact or, or even proven. And even when it's when it's when the, when all the stuff is moving and you put a product in the world, you, it takes this ongoing participatory, inclusive observation and questioning to really learn, like, why did that work? And why is this not working? And, and that kind of stuff. So, um, but by doing that, you're, super, you're really, you're well-informed and you probably have um, a, a whole group of skilled human beings that, that is more able to agree with and share your purpose and be enthusiastic about building what you're building and making it better. Because they understand who they're building it for, they understand why, they understand like how it helps the organization, and and doing things with that approach is is a certain kind of philosophy. There's plenty of organizations that don't see that as um, a worthwhile pursuit. They 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 work in a in a very compartmentalized way. In the idea that that leads to somehow more optimization toward more consistent or greater profit, and I'm biased big time, but I would say that in my experience that's not the case. And even when it's the case, there's an aspect of red flag, unsustainability going on there, because the active choice to not question in a robust way leads to problems. Small ones and big ones. All right. So um, I think, uh, yeah, go for it. Minimum lovable, minimum viable. I think they each have their own flavor and emphasis. And I, I was mentioning how designers can get down on this, or I didn't even fully finish that thought. Um, because it's hard. Like, being a designer is hard. And when you're aware of all the effect on all the different humans, and you see like maybe decision models that aren't doing enough credible inclusion, and the work to learn enough to make informed choices and all that. It's, yet you know the value of it. It's, it, it's um, I mean, it's a recipe for cognitive dissonance, right? Where you're sort of, you know, implicitly or explicitly rubber stamping stuff that like isn't fully thought out enough, right? And um, that's not where the value of design comes from. It's It, it comes from this kind of... Um, like active learning and um, it's a loop that doesn't end. So, so designers can get frustrated with these methods when they're used in a way to exploit, you know, it's like, Hey, let's get excited and build a minimum lovable, minimum viable product. And, you know, whichever one we pick and then let's, let's hurry up and do that because we can make more money in a cheaper way. Like we, we, we're we're trying to use you know use the process in a way that abuses power that makes you know hey another products in the world and now we can expect as much out of it as we'd expect out of something that took us longer to build and you know that's a sign too it's like is your organization mature enough to to handle this kind of thing are, are they um you know what how do they behave when it comes to that that the robust thinking is it is it emphasizing viability so much that it's not learning from the rest of the the Venn diagram and especially not learning from all the audiences so all right there you go those are my thoughts on that um 
I, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a multi-class character when it comes to this stuff. I, I um, had a lot of fun at different chapters in my gig at a at a big retail corporation, um, about six years and doing a lot of this kind of work. And then I did some of this. Uh, pieces of this facilitation and different things where I was kind of honing and testing my techniques in gigs before that. And then, of course, I've been someone who builds products and stuff on the side and likes to, um, you know, just experience firsthand the whole, you know, product development life cycle and, and you know, what's that like. Um, and gosh, I, it's it, finally in, in that in that last chapter at that big company, I I, I got into physical products, which is um, just a whole other thing, but it's still possible there. There's some other things you need to think about too with, when it comes to, you know, manufacturing and, and trusting technologies that you're using to manufacture and stuff. But, um, that's something that, uh, yeah, I can dig into another day, but if you want a, a hint at what it's like, I mean, just essentially take a look at NASA's, uh, tech readiness level as a, uh, as a sign, as, as a way to like evaluate the pieces you use to build stuff, right? But um, not the same. We're not all sending stuff into space. It reminds me of a, um, you know, like all of this, right? It's all context, right? So I don't know how big your organization is. I don't know um, exactly, you know, what your role in it. Anyone who's listening to this, of course, but like even Rachel. Um, uh, I So hopefully there's something in here that you can say, well, you know, this fits or that doesn't fit, whatever. I'm not saying it in a way where it's, it's like, I have the most, you know, fancy quiche recipe from the moon. And you, and I'm like, oh, well, you must simply, you know, if it, if it isn't moon quiche, it's not quiche at all. And, you know, I'm not trying to give that kind of advice. It's, um, you know, it, the stuff that I think transfers is, you know, is, is the organization being inclusive? Is, are you being robust in your thinking? That stuff is, is true no matter the size of the organization. But um, so that would, I don't know. Metaphors are funny. Thank you, Rachel, for that fun question. I appreciate it. And I hope this was useful for you. Now, if any of you other folks have questions for me, you can certainly reach me on Mastodon and other social media places where... I think pretty much all of them. I am Rob Stenzinger. And then another great place to ask questions is good old-fashioned email, where you can reach me at rob at shieldsstenzinger.com. Thank you very much for listening.